Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Lucked out of that one. <laughs> All right. We're, we're on... Um, uh, in Philippians chapter three, and we're discussing things that I wanted—I I want to know. Some things I don't care much about, but there are some things that I want to know. And so we have to begin to sift through life to see what it is I ought to know, not just what I want to know. Because some things, you know, make a difference. They make a difference today and maybe tomorrow, but some things make a difference forever. So we need to sift through the things that we want to know and get down to the things that we ought to know that will have the longest running benefits. If you will go with me to your, uh, in your Bibles to our text in Philippians chapter 3, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, we're trying to learn from how Paul viewed life, and in the process, we're learning some other things complementary to our Ten Commandments series on distinguishing between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, because there's a big difference, and we're under the Apostles' authority We have to know that so that we know where to go for how to govern our lives and the church today. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me. Got that so far? Whatever things were gained to me, who's to me? Paul. Those things I have counted as lost. So, the things that were to his advantage, that were his advantage under the law, those things I have counted as lost, as a disadvantage. They get in the way when you're looking for a clear vision of Christ. Now that's a paraphrased version. Now let's take a little view, a little review here first now and go back to John chapter 8. With that text in mind, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But let's, let's look at John chapter 8 <clears throat> so that we really get firmly established in our thinking some background from Jesus' statements. John chapter 8 and verse 36. If, so if the Son makes you free you will be free indeed. We've got to go all the way back to verse 32. 
<clears throat> in fact, let's go back to verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, because that's who Jesus was to, isn't it? To the household of Israel. He spoke, he came to the Jews, he spoke to the Jews, he came to the household of Israel, and then he appointed the apostles as the executors of his will, including us to the Gentiles. So we go to the apostles for our authority today. Jesus is saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, continue in my position in his word, surrounding yourself with his word so that you can be in it, then, then, conditional, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. What is, what is the condition for being free in Jesus' statement there? Did you read it? To know, to know the truth. And knowing there is the idea of continuing to know the truth. It's learning progressively the truth. And as you do that, you will become progressively liberated. Your liberty, your freedom is always contingent upon your growing progressively in truth. We need to think about that. Verse 36, So then, if the Son makes you free, then you will be free indeed. Then over to verse 51. Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So now if you keep in his word the truth, and you are, you are gradually being liberated and made and set free, you will never see death. And of course, that's kind of the theme uh, that we're talking about there is living in the resurrection verse 52 that you said to him now we know that you have a demon you must have a demon Jesus Abraham died and the prophets also and you say if anyone keeps my word he will never taste of death so there, it immediately raised a question Now, let me go back to where we were in Philippians chapter 3 and then tie that together. Advantages that you think you have. Advantages that Peter thought he had as being born as an Israelite. We're going to look at that again in just a moment. They become a disadvantage if they get in the way of seeing Christ clearly. Because Christ sets one free. And a part of what that means is found in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 15. Is so far, Greg, keeping up? Almost. Look at this verse in um, Hebrews 2. Some of these, some of the, I give him these verses and sometimes I, I don't follow the order. You know, I kind of, Freelance it. 
But in chapter 2 of Hebrews, chapter verse 15, we have to remember that Paul in verses 1 to 7 of Philippians 3, which we're going to look at in just a moment, he talks about the advantages that he had as a Jew, but that they had become disadvantages by his appointment because they got in the way of having a clear picture of Christ. Because Christ sets one free. That's what truth does. And the crux of that matter is that in him there is no fear of death. He said you will never experience dying. Now that's pure liberty. That's the freedom that he talks about when he says, you shall be free indeed. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. And might free those... Oh, i got to go back to verse 14. Uh, this is a tomato-throwing session. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, that's you and me, He himself likewise also partook of the same. The same what? What does it say? Flesh and blood. He also partook of flesh and blood that through death, in other words, what made it possible for him to be a benefit to us is that he had to become just like we are. If he was something other than you and me, then whatever it is he would do would have no benefit to you and me who are who we are. You get that? That's why we do not believe in the Trinity. Jesus was not God when he was here. When he was here, he was as one of he came through Mary so that he could be as one of us. And as one of us, he accomplished these things that if he had been something other than one of us would be of no merit to us. While he was in the days of his flesh, while in the days of his flesh, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. The thing that enabled Jesus to conquer Satan was that he was sinless under the law and was as one of us and still sinless. He could render powerless him who had the power of death, the power of separation from God, spiritual separation from God and of course that was Hades under the law that when all of these people died they died and did not go to heaven they went to Hades the place of departed spirits not hell but the Abraham's bosom which was a part of Hades and notice verse 15 now and might free those who through fear of death Christ became as one of us 
so that he could render Satan powerless and he would be rendered powerless by his resurrection from the dead, power over death, and he would free all of those who through the fear of death, fear of separation, were subject to slavery all their lives. So he's talking here about the freedom that comes from those who sin and realize that sin has its consequences and separates you from God, and that when Christ gives you freedom, you have freedom indeed, but the difference between that and the freedom we talk about culturally is that this is individual, not national. And it's difficult for people in the church, when Jesus talks about freedom and liberty, to realize that he's talking about individuals experiencing liberty in no matter what kind of government they live under. And if you haven't got that kind of liberty, you haven't got any liberty at all. Liberty and freedom is individual that we're talking about here. We're not speaking of national freedom. There's a place for that. But no matter what form of government you live under, folks, there are, there are Christian people living under every form of government in the entire world. There are. There are people there who have been released from the power of sin by having been baptized into Christ and rising to walk in a new life, and they are liberated from the fear of death individually. And that's what Jesus says, that's freedom indeed, because that's something that every individual has control over. And folks, when we're talking about national freedom, individually, you don't have any control over that at all. Do you? Not really. So we've got to get our minds into the Christian perception here. Now let's go back to Philippians 3. Paul is speaking of the advantages Philippians chapter 3. He is speaking of the advantages of the law to him with his various positions within the framework of that law. Look at verse, let's go back to verse 1 of Philippians chapter 3. We're going to find out in this context that the law has Nothing to offer to us today except education, background, and an understanding of the terminology that's used in the New Covenant because it has that Jewish background. In verse 1, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, one of the things that, that really classifies all sects is that it kind of has a blend between the law and grace. And remember that as New Testament Christians, we are not under the law at all. 
We are not under Jesus at all. We are under those whom Jesus appointed as the executors of his will. And that's the apostles. Because Jesus lived and died as a Jew, under the Jew, for the Jews. And we're not there. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me. I like that. See, he's, he's having to repeat some things to these folks that he'd already written to them about, and so he says to, to, to write the same thing again is no trouble. There's a secret of learning, and it's found in repetition. We have to hear the same thing about seven times to get about 50% of its content. I guess I should do the same thing every week for the next year. We might catch on, or I might become more efficient in how I present it. All right, to, to write the same thing again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. What are the two key pronouns? You're going to get a lesson in grammar now. All right, me and you. Are they the same? Who's the me? Paul. Who's the you? In this case, the Philippian church. Because it's a plural pronoun. It's a corporate pronoun. You corporately as the church. Don't put yourself into that you. Now there will be teachings in this book you ought to, you ought to adhere to. But remember, very seldom is the you ever singular and referring to you and me. Except that as it refers to the church and we are a part of the church, then it becomes applicable. Then he says in verse 2, that's your grammar lesson for the day, always check out your pronouns. And it's obvious there. Beware of the dogs. Right there, he says, don't bring Harry and Tess to church anymore. See that? Beware of Harry and Tess. By the way, Harry's still living. We took him for a ride in the stroller last night at the park. The little kids just adore him in the, in the stroller. He sits up and he's just as happy as a clam. You know? But he's talking about dogs here. He's talking about the violators of the law who claim to be Jews. Jack Jews. If you understand anything about Mormonism, you know what I'm talking about. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. I know that's negative, but sometimes we have to point out that there are folks that we need to be aware of. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are all of us who qualify are the true circumcision. What are the qualifying aspects of this which makes one true circumcision? one who worships in the Spirit of God, in the nature and the character, the identity of God, 
And the recognition, the glory, the word glory means recognition. And the recognition in Christ Jesus. And thirdly, that put no confidence in the flesh. Now when he's using flesh in this context, he is speaking of the law. So when you see in the book of Romans, and other books, the, con- the contrast between spirit and flesh. Remember, the flesh isn't talking about my left finger. It's talking about the various aspects of the law. And it's clear that he's talking about that here. And he's, well de- he's defined it very well that in this context, the flesh is speaking of all of those qualifying dimensions of the law. Now, verse 4, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, and he's talking about now the flesh is equal to what? Law. Get it? The flesh is equal to the law. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Notice why in verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, and as to the law, a Pharisee. And that's the administration of the law. He was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. So did Paul have zeal? Oh, yeah. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. See, Paul was another one who, according to the law, as Jesus was, Paul was also found blameless. Now he comes to the text that he, we are under, that's under discussion with us. But whatever things were gained to me, those things. Now what are the things he's talking about? Well, he just got through listing them in verses 5 and 6. You can read them the same as I can. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. All of the advantages that I have as a Jew under the law, living in the flesh of the law, because it was directed toward the flesh, all of those advantages, I'm counting them as disadvantages because they get in the way of having a clear vision of what Christ ought to mean to me. So, What he has done, he has deliberately, individually separated himself from the nationalism of the law, which represented the flesh, and its appeal was to the flesh. He has separated himself from that nationalism and taken on the individual responsibility of how he looked at the law because of Christ. 
That's the doctrine that we referred to last week of individual responsibility is born with Christ and with the establishment of his kingdom in opposition to the hereditary privileges that were found under the law according to the flesh. That's what Paul, I believe, is dealing with there. So whatever things were gained to me, all were gained to me, those things I get, I push aside. I push them aside. Those things I have counted as loss, they, they mean nothing. You see, the law focused on national freedom. And to them, that freedom was based on the independence from other nations. We have incorporated some of that own thinking into this country as well. And folks, it's just as wrong now as it was then. What Jesus is talking about is not national freedom, and we appreciate national freedom, don't we? That's not the issue. It is never the issue anywhere in the Bible. He is talking about that kind of freedom that is freedom indeed because it is altogether by individual initiative and choice. And you, we have to come to grips with that. So in verse 7, we must come to know what our values are, that there is a value system, and that we have to make a distinction because that's one of the things that uh, values do. Values determine distinctions. And Paul was seeing the value of Christ, and therefore his eyes were open to the distinctions that he had to make in regard to the law, and that whatever it is <coughs> that the law could accomplish meant absolutely nothing to him. All right, let's move on to one more. And that's verse 8. So when we talk about, Jesus is talking about freedom, he is talking about the freedom of which each individual is capable of acquiring. And that's the freedom indeed, based upon individual responsibility. Now in verse 8, we have the second thing under discussion, and that is that there is an absolute, an ultimate value that we need, not just that there are values in life, but there is an absolute ultimate value that we need to see clearly and then adhere to. Verse 8. And this ought to be life-changing. More than that. So he says, in addition to just having a value system of knowing the difference between the law and what is in Christ, and a general sense of values in life, 
More than that in verse 8, I count all things. I don't know what you know about all, but when I eat all of my supper, that means I've got a lot of stuff left on my plate, right? Some of you are saying, yeah, that's that, that means. What's that? Oh, that means you get dessert. Ah, that's, that's good. Okay, so more than just having a value system in life, and my, how we need to teach values. You teach values to little children, you know, by the time they're three or four years old, they'll never forget them if they're taught properly. Never forget them, as long as they see the, the consistency between how mom and dad act and, and those values that are being taught. More than that, I count all things to be lost. That means everything on the plate is cleaned off. I've eaten all of my dinner, Mom. I count all things to be lost in view of now we have the ultimate surpassing value established. The surpassing value of knowing not just intellectually, but emotionally and experientially. The word gnosko here, the root, means that it is something that you know so thoroughly, you have a feeling for it. And folks, whenever you know something well enough that you have a feeling in that knowledge, it shows. It shows. There's a vibrancy when you know Christ that way. You kind of pick up and take notice. The surpassing value. This is the ultimate value. This is, the, this is a value that can't be beat no matter how else you look at it. The surpassing value of all the things I want to know. I started, I want to know how to play a trumpet. Spent 9,000 hours recorded record practice. Never could master it. You know why? Because I didn't have the talent. And you can't develop a skill without a talent. You understand? So no matter how much I worked, I could never break through because I didn't have the native talent for it. I could go so far and then I plateau. 9,000 hours of recorded practice time by some of the best teachers probably in the world. Rafael Mendez, Mexico, had private lessons from him. Never could break through because I didn't have the native talent. It's no disgrace to me. I just don't have it. I have a daughter who is a concert flutist, soloist flutist. She's got a native talent. So everything she learns, she gets twice as much out of it as what she learns. I get half or less out of everything I learn in what I'm doing because I don't have a talent for it. But to know You've got to have a talent, and he has given to every human being the capacity.
capacity of knowing Christ as Paul experienced him. You can know everyone living today can know Christ. That's one thing we can know, and we can know him so deeply and intensely that we get that radiance from him, from that knowledge. The surpassing value, now there's a value that can't be beat, of knowing, knowing experientially. That's not how you come to know him. We're not talking about the source of that knowledge. We're talking about the effect of that knowledge, that you stay and keep learning, as Jesus said, those of you who progressively learn of me will be liberated progressively. That's the condition. So now of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, my master, my dictator, for whom I have... Now, now he tells us something. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. All things of which he has talked about in verses 5 and 6. All of those things that he had acquired as a member of the Sanhedrin, as a member of the law. He said, I've I've suffered the loss of all of those things. They mean nothing. Mean nothing at all. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and when you come to that point in your life is to where you know Christ so intimately that there is an experience in that. In the knowledge, that is. Not emotional experience, but it will affect your emotions. Then you are willing to cut the cord of things that have less value in life. You're willing to separate yourself from them because you have something that is so far surpassing. Hard to come by. That's why that word knowing means has such an intensity in it. Knowing with the idea of not just grasping the idea, of, but having it so that it has an impact, impact upon you how you live and how you think, whom I have, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count all of these things that I had found to my advantage under the law, I now count them but rubbish. I have to, I have to move all of those things that I thought were so neat. I have had to push them aside. Because now they have become a disadvantage. They get in the way of me having a clear vision of the surpassing value of Christ. And I have to count them but rubbish. And that word rubbish is really dumb. So that I may gain Christ. You have to not only have a value system but you have to have a value system in life that means so much to you that you're willing to cut out the things that get in the way because you not only have a value system, but you have something that surpasses 
all of the other values in life, and you're willing to cut out everything that gets in your way. Everything else becomes a disadvantage in life. Now you're able to stand on your feet and, and do what you ought to do as a believer. So in that verse again, and we close, because next week we're going to look at verse 9 and bring your tomatoes. If you haven't got you mad yet, I'll, help, I'll try to get you there next week. So in verse 7 and 8, in, in conclusion, as in review, for whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. There is a value system. But that isn't enough. Verse 8, more than that, I count all things. So there has to be a distinction made. You have to make some choices. They're not always fun to make. I count all things to be lost in view, always in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Folks, of all the things that we ought to want to know, that ought to be the thing that we really focus on in our life. Things of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The value in knowing him as your master. Let's see. 227. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. And let's do that. Let's stand. Do it for Jesus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.